0: You know, days that I didn't smoke, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I need that. Unlike the Ambien that I took or the anxiety medication, that's all lethal. You can overdose on and addictive.
1: You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that mental
2: health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face.
1: Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. Welcome, listening audience. We are back yet again with what another uh, boy. I am terrible at introductions. Another guns and mental health podcast. Uh, this is brought to you by Walk the, Walk the Talk America, and and I can't speak today, so I'm just going to keep going. You know what, Mike, take over. <laughs> it,
2: it is one of those days because, like my morning, I, I was I should have late to this. I, I apologize, Kim, uh, but. If something can go wrong, so I'm thinking like the three of us are having some bad luck just all around.
1: And I think it's me. It's got to be me. <laughs> we don't want your bad juju here, Ricky Bobby.
0: Keep, keep that over there. Keep that out west.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Down south. Keep it in Clark County. I don't want to come up here. Anyway, uh, folks, we have with us Kim Petters. Uh, is it Petters or is it Peters?
0: It's better.
1: Yeah, shown my my ignorance already. We didn't, you know, we we talked with our guests before we even start recording and I don't even bother to ask what their names are. (laughs) Uh, Man, if it's not a clunky introduction, it's not a WTTA podcast. So (laughs) uh, welcome, Kim, all the way from the state of Delaware up there in the Northeast United States. Introduce yourself to our world.
0: Um, Hello, I never know how to introduce myself, so I don't know, I'm a mother of four, I'm a U.S. veteran, I got retired out for PTSD under the Wounded Warrior Program, Um, let's see, what else, and I just, I don't know what you would call me, but I make things happen in Delaware, uh, legislatively, all different things, I don't really fit in a box, so uh, Second Amendment, Issues are very big, important to me. Veteran issues are very important to me. Um, I'm starting to dabble in education. I want a hand in that. It's one of the things I have a degree in. Um, And then also for a long time, medical cannabis was a really big issue for me and quite frankly, still is. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I'm just involved in my community. I just do a lot of fundraising. And I mean, I'm the mom that like helps out in the schools when they're open. And You know, I'm the the dugout mom that brings the snacks and I don't know, I'm just a regular person that has an opinion and
1: you—you have heard. You have four kids. What are their ages?
0: Their ages? So they are 9, 11, uh, 13, and 15. Yep. That's
2: wild. I look like you're 23.
0: Yeah, how's that possible? (laughs) No, and no, actually, I'm about to be 40. Um, in two months, next month. What month are we? Two months. Welcome Um, to the club. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I don't know. Got four kids. I love them.
1: That's crazy. They're all
0: they're all really good kids, too. Every single one of them. In fact, when the doorbell rang, my daughter went running down because she knew she's like, Oh, mom's doing an interview
1: that's cool that's a testament to good parenting and if you're listening out there uh this is the family therapist in me coming out um if you if you ever doubt your parenting skills Uh, because of, you know, we tend to focus in on some of the bad behaviors sometimes because we always want perfection from our children, which isn't possible. And then we blame ourselves. If you look at their overall behavior, like little things like that, little responsibilities that they take on out of, you know, kindness and consideration for others, that's a reflection of good parenting. So pat yourself on the back, Kim, you've done a, you've done a good job.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: So you are uh I don't know what probably what the interwebs would call an an activist I suppose uh you know maybe maybe somebody who you know is a community organizer I don't I don't really know but you're you're involved and you you take on all these things and it sounds really cool because we need more of that I think in our community and I could definitely go on a rant about how if 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 the general population would just be a little more active in in what they do and take a little bit more action right to their elected officials and volunteer in the schools and, you know, chop the orange wedges for soccer practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think our communities would be a lot healthier, uh, little little tiny things on behalf of everybody. But I think we have the tendency to kind of maybe slough off responsibility and um, and think other people are going to do it right, and then and then we don 't know what to do when things go sideways it 's like well, it comes down to the individual, so kudos to you for doing all that stuff it's mm-hmm. it 's nice to hear um, we 've got a long series of people on this show who who basically do stuff like that in their own communities and their own ways and i 'm always very humbled and and um, i mean i 'm really thankful I think I have a great deal of gratitude when we hear these testimonies about people in all over the country and, and the world, who are doing little things that we never would have otherwise heard about because they're not, you know, mm-hmm. celebrity influencers and they don't have millions of followers and all that stuff. But what they do is they make a huge difference, and you're doing that. And I, I don't know where among those you want to start necessarily. I mean, this is a 2A oh. and mental health show, but I, um, I imagine we'll cover most of it. So I guess just being selfish, I will say that. I caught your article. You were you were interviewed and covered in the the concealed carry mag from the uh, the US. Is uh, it the USCCA that put it out? I think. Um, and you were talking about the medical marijuana thing. You have a really powerful testimony to that. So why don't we start there and talk about what this means and the and the decriminalization or legalization, whatever you want to call it, and how it relates to firearms owners.
0: All right. Well, um, to give a little perspective. Um, so, when I got out of the military, I got retired out for PTSD. And where I got where it derived from was when I was deployed, um, I was at Al Mubarak. And that's where all of the human remains of all of our own fallen come through. And, you know, anything I do in life, I do just fully and wholly and passionately. And just I'm all in. And so I took it all back with me. It was. You know just every single day bodies whether it was you know the chopper seven that went down or the you know the guy uh the platoon sergeant who got shot by one of his own uh you know or you know a blast the smell of burnt bodies um from your own people like your own brothers and sisters stayed with me and so you know i suffered a lot from you know i couldn't sleep i would have uh anxiety depression and so Um, I was on that VA cocktail that they give you. I was taking something for depression. I was taking something for anxiety. I was taking something to give me energy. I was taking something to wake me up. I was just taking all these things. And, um, you know, I was, I was numb and I wasn't really healing. You can't heal when you're just like in one place. I was just kind of surviving. And, um, for me, what happened was, uh, life was a little harder in my case because, um, Right as I got out of the military, my brother and sister in law passed away, and so I inherited their two children. My youngest, I got them when they were four months old and two years old, and so you know I had five kids under five. I just got retired out of the military, and I'm like, "What are we going to do?" And so we sold the house to come back and be closer to family. New Jersey was closer to expensive, so we went to Delaware. I searched by school systems and crime rates and taxes, and we found Delaware, and. uh, you know, we got here and I was still surviving. I didn't know a soul. I didn't know a single person, um, PTSD. I don't know how much people know about it, but you isolate. And so for me, I just isolated completely. I didn't even talk to neighbors, anybody, um, for years. It was really bad. And then I had heard on the internet, I was desperate and, you know, just doing okay, but not okay enough. And, um, I'd seen a YouTube video of some veterans talking about they used pot, they smoked weed to help them with PTSD. And I was so desperate. And I really had nothing to lose. So I called my brother in law. And I was like, Hey, can you get me some weed? And he's like, Sure. And so he did. And I he came here to my house gave it to me. And I'd saved it for a few days. And I went up in my the closet of, you know, up into the bathroom, you know, because I don't want the kids to smell it. And oh my God, but the neighbors smell it. And I'm like a drug addict and a criminal now, right? And so I'm smoking drugs. And so I was smoking it, blowing it out the window. And I immediately felt better. I had this feeling over me where all these other things I was worried about all of a sudden were gone. And for some reason, it just does something to your brain where you're there and you're focused and you're in the moment. And I was like, wow, that's great. And so I kept smoking, it was my dirty little secret that I was hiding from everybody. And before I knew it, I realized I had not taken the anti anxiety medication in a while. And oh, by the way, I'm sleeping better. And by the way, I don't know who's going to hear this. But if there is anyone out there who is suffering from nightmares, of course, talk to your doctor, talk, get education. I'm not this is not for everybody. But The single best nightmare medication I've ever taken or used is cannabis. And I suffered severely for years. I took the nightmare medication that they give you, the doctors give you, didn't work, messed with my blood pressure, whatever. Cannabis is the, if someone's seriously suffering, I would look into it. But anyway, so before I knew it, I was off everything. The last thing to go was depression medication, right? And so I'm like, well, I need to make an honest woman out of myself. I'm breaking the law. Let me get a medical marijuana card. And Delaware, they had a medical marijuana program and PTSD was a qualifying condition because anyone that doesn't know, cannabis is the only medication that you need legislators to approve you to take it, not your doctors. Um, so there's a list that lawmakers decide. And, um, and, you know, so I saw that there was PTSD, but it had barriers in the way it had extra requirements of psychiatrists of this or that. And Delaware has a shortage of psychiatrists. I don't, you know, it's just, it made it harder. I couldn't have my regular doctor sign on it. And so long story short, I, because cannabis literally gave me my life back and allowed me to heal. I decided that I was going to make sure every veteran in my state had access to it too, no matter what it took or how I had to do it. Because, you know, veterans were and still are dropping like flies. They more veterans die from suicide after the fact than they actually do in combat Um, veterans double the national average, just an accidental overdose from the amount of pills that they're given. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, the, the Vietnam veterans, they're the generation of alcohol. Three quarters of Vietnam veterans suffer from alcohol abuse, right? Well, the Iraqi freedom and OEF OIF veterans like myself, my generation, we became the generation of opiates and heroin. And this is the reason why. When the wars first kicked off in 2001, the VA wasn't prepared. No one knew like the influx of people that we were going to get back. Right. Mm -hmm. Because back in the day, Vietnam, most people didn't make it out of the battlefield. They didn't have the same medical staff. Right. So we're all coming back. All they did was by 274, percent the opiates being prescribed ropes. Okay. So they just threw medications at us. And then what they did was they said, Oh, wait, pump the brakes. We've created all these opiate addicts and they're having all these problems. So let's, let's not prescribe it so much anymore. But then all these veterans then went to the street. because Now they're addicted. And so, so that's what happened. And, you know, cannabis, anyone who doesn't know this, it's impossible to overdose from. It does not affect your respiratory system. Um, it's non-addictive. I wouldn't say it's not habit-forming. Anything can be habit. You can abuse sex. You can abuse the gym. You can abuse food. You can abuse anything. So it can be abused. But, you know, days that I didn't smoke, I wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I need that. Unlike the Ambien that I took or the anxiety medication. That's all lethal. You can overdose on and addictive. And so, I don't know, I'm rambling here. And so, so long story short, I decided I had to figure out how to change this law. And again, I didn't know anyone. And I had really bad PTSD at the time and hadn't spoken to a soul in Delaware in years. And so I googled online this uh, marijuana group in Delaware. And they were having a meeting at a library. And I'm like, I'm just gonna go say hi. And and see what they're doing. And I did. And when I went, because my PTSD was so bad, it was embarrassing. When I think about it, my hands were literally trembling. Like I didn't know how to talk to people. It was so bad at the time. I'd been so isolated and just taking care of this family that needed me, my children. And so, um, but long story short, I met someone there by the name of Rich Jester. And he said, I know how to write a bill, but you have to get sponsors and you have to get people to support this. And I'm like, what's a sponsor? what's the difference between a senator and a representative what does bipartisan mean like and what's a bill like how do i do this and i figured it out and i started out by just walking into a vfw and saying hi my name's competitors and cannabis saved my life and all veterans need this and which by the way a vfw is the vfw is the most conservative veterans organization there is um but i did that again handshaking i did that um and there was a man by the name of mark Arduino. And he stayed silent and he listened to me and he's the commander at the time. And he said, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do some research. And he came back to me and he said, everything you're saying is the truth. And I'm going to introduce you to some people, but you have to keep doing what you're doing. And so I went up and down the state introducing myself to American Legion, the DAV, the VFW, and it came to the Senate floor. It failed because of Senator Townsend and it died on the Senate floor. And so we rose up in a huge way. And that bill came back within 24 hours, and passed unanimously as it showed up the first time around. And then it went over to the House and passed and all this and that. But it was a fight the whole way, because you're saying, you know, cannabis, and PTSD. And you know, that had never been talked about in Delaware before then. And we just steamrolled the issue. And so and it passed, and it the number two most common reason that uh, people in Delaware get a medical marijuana card. And I've heard so many positive things since then. It's been amazing, quite frankly. So That's how I got involved in politics and
1: things. Well, first of all, congratulations for that. That's a huge lift, and um, you, you need to take credit for the, for the hard work. Um, secondly, you're not rambling. Um, all that that you just laid out – I mean, I've been studying this stuff for quite some time now – and I could never really connect the dots as to why we had an opioid epidemic. I knew that pharmaceuticals had their agenda, and I knew that there was a push for this thing, and you know it, it took away pain and all that stuff. But I never really understood the the veteran angle and the way that you laid that out, especially generationally um, between the the, the war time, um, I guess, coping skills from from alcohol. Of, mm-hmm. Our parents' generation to the opioids of today's generation, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, a ton of sense. So I, I learned a great deal just right there in that little soliloquy that you just had. So thank you for that. Um, yeah,
2: go Kim, ahead. you see the movie Cherry? Uh, you should check it out. Both of you should check it out. It's really interesting. It's it's exactly it, it's it's fairly recent. It's so raw. Like you know, it's not it's not a light movie, but it it tackles exactly what you're talking about. So I didn't know. I watch if- it. Yeah. It's very interesting, but sorry to cut you off, Jake. I just, just curious.
1: No, it was good. Um, I, I really wasn't going anywhere other than to, you know, shower effusive praise upon Kim for her efforts. Okay. Um, so where, where are we at now with this, uh, with this canvas thing, as opposed to, uh, you know, where we were, but then also address firearms ownership as it
0: relates. Yeah. Okay. So, so after we got this bill to pass and everybody's got access and things are great and we raised awareness now the problem, there's a conflict in the law when it comes to cannabis and firearm possession ownership and purchasing. And it's quite discriminatory, quite frankly, because cannabis is the only medication in the entire U.S. that causes you to lose your Second Amendment rights. You know, side effects of cannabis, lose your two A rights. And um you know, it's like you're following state order, state laws. You're following doctors' orders, and so we decided with some very principled legislators in Delaware, "Hey, let's tackle this issue because this is not fair." And so we did. Again, we had a bill drafted. Um, Senator Del Colo, amazing man. Um, and so we basically it was Senate Bill 79, and it made it so that. Unfortunately, you couldn't purchase a gun because of the 44 or 73, but, 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 but but you could possess and not be charged. And of course, it sends a message to the federal government and people are like, you know, well, how could you do that if it's federally illegal? Well, the same way I can walk into a dispensary and buy pot because that's still federally illegal, but we can in Delaware because it's state law says we can, right? And so this bill, again, we went around, I went around talking to gun groups, I went up and down to every single gun club there was in Delaware, once again, you know, you got it, all it takes is being genuine and explaining to people this situation, literally, it's not hard. And so I went to, I started with all the female groups, and, um, you know, throughout our state. And so the bill came to the floor. Huge support. So the Senate floor, it passed unanimously, which is amazing to have a pro-2A bill in such a blue state pass unanimously. And then also to get the Republicans who at the time were a little wishy-washy about pop. But anyway, they it passed. It was wonderful. And then it went out into the House committee where it then passed. Awesome. It was getting ready to go to the House. And then Corona came and shut down Leg Hall. And so the bill has to start all over from scratch all that hard work oh 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 and like a year in the making also like it wasn't like just that easy like we still had to go talk to legislators like it was a year and a half in the making i would like you know say hey can i might call them up my name's kim Patters? can i come to your district and talk to you can i have coffee can i have lunch and they would say yes and they would hear me out and then they all said yes it was simple because it makes sense i mean you want to talk about common sense gun laws why <laughs> this is common sense i mean we're talking about something that's not a no it's talking about having a gun and smoking pot at the same time. No one's talking about saying they're not talking about going to the bar and shooting guns at the same time. It's personal responsibility. It's, you know, why would we discriminate against something that seems to help a lot of people is non-lethal. And so, you know, it just made sense. And when you explain it to people it works, And so, yeah, that's, that's where we are with, uh, that guns and cannabis. And it's terrible because it deters so many people, these laws either force people to not seek help to either to possibly stay on pills because, well, I'd rather keep my two a rights and take all these pills that are like destroying the organs within my body. Or, um, you know, I'm just going to take my chances and break the law, you know? So it really puts people very good people. These are, law abiding citizens, they're not doing anything wrong, it puts them in very compromising positions, or, you know, you may have to lie on the form when you go to purchase a gun. And it's just like, it makes no sense. It's, it all boils down to because it's still federally legal, because cannabis is still listed as a schedule one drug, um, uh, which is insane, because, uh, you know, cocaine and methamphetamines and heroin, that's not even listed as schedule one. So you can do those and still keep your guns. You just can't use cannabis and keep your guns.
2: Yeah, it's a huge issue, especially here in Las Vegas. Um, Jake, I'm not sure what it's like in Reno, but uh, if you go down to where all the dispensaries are, there are gun shops that are right across (laughs) the street or right next to them, right? And um, I had a buddy about a couple months ago, he was going to go purchase a firearm and he was in there and there was like a little waiting time. And he actually said to the guy behind the counter, Hey, I'm just going to walk over to the dispensary real quick. You know, I'll be right back. And the guy behind the counter said, I wish you wouldn't have said that man, you can't buy a gun from us, you know? And that was just him saying it. He didn't even say he was going to go buy something, you know, he just said he was killing time. Um, so it is becoming an issue. And uh, just to frame it up for any uh, people that aren't the fire in the firearms community or understand the firearms community um, when you go to buy a, a firearm, you have to take a 4473 background check. And on that, you know, background form, it actually says like, you know, do you partake in drugs? Like something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But if you're honest and you're like, well, yeah, I, I smoke, you know, medical marijuana, you're going to check that. Yes. And then as soon as you hit that, yes, it's a wrap. Like you, you're denied. Yeah, yeah. You're denied and that's a huge issue especially with what we're understanding and you know uh figuring out like that this helps people it's a drug that helps people as a matter of fact i'd rather have people around weed with firearms than alcohol and firearms and you know you're not supposed to be around both but it's just something that i'm glad you're bringing this to light and and fighting for it because it's a huge issue. We're seeing these issues in all these different states. Colorado, where there are, are a lot of firearms owner, ownership. Our state here, Delaware. I mean, this is a this is a big issue.
0: It is a big issue, and you know, going back to that form forty four seventy three, it's very interesting to me that all anybody cares about on that part is the marijuana part. And I get that that's been put in bold letters. However, it also says on that same line, it says marijuana comma, you know, controlled substance, stimulant, this and that. How many people do you know, especially the older we get that people take daily medications, that actually, if they were honest, they would be denied too. So I find it interesting that the only concern that anybody's ever up in arms about is the cannabis portion. And not that other stuff. So for example, someone who maybe has a back pain, and they take like a uh, daily low dose narcotic, technically, that's a controlled substance, you're supposed to put no there. But nobody worries about that. And I will say for the FFL, I don't blame them for denying that sale. I mean, these are people's businesses. And you know, in order for me to buy a gun after an incident I had over the summer, there was a threat where I just I couldn't wait. You know, unfortunately, the bill that we were trying to pass that would have given me my rights back died because of corona. And I was forced to finally choose between safety and following the law. And I chose safety. I have guns. I'm getting more guns. Lots of them.
1: Do you still take your cannabis?
0: I got rid of my card, but yeah, I'll use my cannabis whenever I... Feel like
1: it. Yeah, it's an interesting juxtaposition because we've got this uh, what what we would call in the psychological realm, uh, and, and this phrase comes from Carl Jung, a cultural introject. Uh, so not an interjection where you're jumping into somebody's conversation, but an an introjection, w- which is an unquestioned belief or assumption. And these things get handed down from family, from culture, from clergy, television, movies, um, until they become so deeply ingrained that we just. Uh, believe them, and we don't bother to question where they came from. And the cultural introject here that's been around since like the 30s, when uh, marijuana was uh, banned and and scheduled up, is that it's you know, weed is bad, right? And and it's yeah. like there's there's all these perceived character character deficiencies in people who use it, and functional deficiencies and so forth. So what we've got here is um, an ingrained belief system codified on, on a piece of paper that you have to check a box with that presumes there's an inherent incapacity that comes with these, these things that are listed on the paper. And now we've got all this emerging science and data and information and research that say, actually no. And overlapping this to, to your point about do we what do we a- attest to when we do the attestation, what we're essentially saying when we ignore the prescribed through the doctor, you know, quote unquote, um, you know, FDA approved safe medications, is that we're sending the message that you're unsafe if you're not using them, or if you're using them, but you're safe if you are using them, uh, or sorry, safe if you're not using them, I'm getting my words mixed up. And so the, the message that gets communicated is that not only are you supposedly healthier not taking your medication, which is which couldn't be further from the truth for most people, um, but also you're morally deficient if you're taking them, which is a horrible message to send. And then the the other, I guess, undergirding factor here, the, the message that's communicated is that not only are you unsafe as a human being, uh, you're unsafe to handle firearms. and And it's actually just the exact opposite. Like, Mike brings this point up all the time about people blame the SSRIs or whatever. Um, and nobody ever says, you know, oh, Mike's unstable because he's on his medications. Like, that's not why we prescribe medicine. It's, we prescribe it to help people. So, what is it with this outlier with the marijuana? It's just that we haven't wrestled through the data yet. We're still operating on this belief system. That's very emotional. It's very defense-eliciting. It triggers our limbic system when we reflexively react to, oh, he's, he's smoking weed. And we haven't bothered to turn on the logic part of our brain, which is in the frontal lobe, that says, no, actually, we need to analyze the data and go from there and make better policies. And certainly we don't want states in conflict with federal because that sends a mixed signal too.
0: The problem with that, though, is a lot of the research, the credible research that's happening gets shut down one way or another. And I come from the belief that I, you know, you follow the money with anything. I don't mean to sound so cliche, but if you look at the all the businesses that would lose out all the giants that would lose out if cannabis were more readily available. So, you know, there's that substitute effect with um, with alcohol, eight to 10 percent. Uh, sales go down in states that have recreational programs. So so all the alcohol industries, they are, you better believe, gonna lobby against anything cannabis related, right? And they'll support anyone who, you know, keeps it, you know, sure. keeps the offenses for it. So also there's that, so there's, you know, there's as much as states that have good medical marijuana programs, as much as six percent reduction in opiates being prescribed. Well, do you think the uh, pharmaceutical companies like that? Um, you know, and then there's the stigma. I felt like a terrible person. I thought I was a bad mom for months. I felt like a terrible person. And then when I had to come out of the closet and tell everyone that I I'm using cannabis and it helped me and everybody else should have access to it too. Do you know how hard that was? And I had to face all the stigmas. If maybe I'm a bad mom and I'm first of all, an amazing mother and a great person as much as anybody else. And so, you know, I had to fight through all those too, and a lot of other people do. And I would just like to say this one little last thing. Um, if people realized how many other people actually use cannabis, they would be so, so, so through the DC project, I go to, which is a national organization, it's one woman from every state, um, goes to Capitol Hill for at least a week, and we do all these other things too, but it just puts another face on gun ownership. And so I'm the Delaware delegate. And so, um, you know, so I do that. And through that, I met all these other national people, not just within the DC project. So I get invited places, whatever. And I drive because I usually want to bring my cannabis with me. Not so much. I don't really use it so much anymore, though. Um, And everyone knows me as cannabis, right? So when we're staying in hotels, because it's like this week long event um, with all these like top two A advocates in the country. Whose door do you think they're knocking on the very first night because they know I'm the cannabis girl. They knew I drove. So I probably have it with me and they flew and they couldn't bring theirs and nobody knows that they use it too because they're NRA certified or, oh, I'm like the face for this or, or I'm the, you know, I wear this logo on my shirt when I competitive shoot and this and that they use cannabis too. And it's frustrating because I, I, of course I help them all. And, you know, before I know it, my hotel balcony is like full of people and we're having a great somehow turn into a party and we all have to work the next day. So they got to get out, take the cannabis and go or something. But, um, uh, you know, it's just, if everybody who used it, admitted it and rose up, we wouldn't have this problem. This would not even be an issue, but because so many people stand to lose money, they're going to keep it schedule one for as long as they can. This conflict is going to be here for God only knows how long. Although I did talk to um, U.S. Senators um, Mooney and Massey, and they actually had a bill that would combat this, too, similar to the one I had at the state level but it never went to the house floor because I think it was Nancy Pelosi that wouldn't let it go to the house floor. I don't really remember. I got caught up with other things at the time and I knew it was dead in the water. So, so it's an issue. It's an issue. And people know about it. And a lot of good people are, you know, having to choose between like, look at me because I don't have a card anymore. Guess where I buy cannabis from now when I need it, if I need it, the street, I mean, secondly, my friends, because I know a million people, but what about the people who don't know Like, where do they go? What do they do? Now you're putting them in an unsafe situation and potentially ingesting an unsafe product. Yeah, because because they don't want to give up their two A rights. Not everybody lives in a safe, pushy neighborhood. Not everybody. uh, You know, some people. No offense, guys. No offense. I don't mean this in a bad way. But You have no idea what it's like to be a one, a woman or two walk around where more than half the population can physically overpower you if you want. I don't know how many times you've had your ass grabbed. i'm oh, sorry or been who who didn't hollered at or been for a jog and someone stopped their car or been followed out of a store or but i can tell you you ask any woman and they'll tell you how many times it's happened to them you know and so it's just you're gonna put women in compromising situations too it's just the whole thing doesn't make sense
2: yeah it's it's <laughs> it is very silly when you think about it and this is uh, I remember doing this exercise with my ex-wife. We we had just moved to Ohio. We were, we were living in Ohio and we moved into this neighborhood and in Ohio, cause we were from back East, right? We're from Jersey. Like you didn't really talk to your neighbors. Like we just kind of nope. <laughs> moving. Right. But in Ohio, it was like this whole community in this cul-de-sac. There's like 15 houses and just with a dead end. Um, one day we were joking and this is, this is like 15, 20 years ago. And uh, I said, I am the, cause it's me, my, my wife used to smoke weed all the time, but mm-hmm. for me, weed is like, uh, do you ever see the movie old school? Like when he gets mm-hmm. hit with a tranquilizer dart and he's just like crazy, man, and he falls in the pool. That's me. No matter what, every time I would smoke it, I was out and we're talking deep, deep, deep sleep. So <laughs> for me, it was just never my thing, but we were making this joke. Cause she, she said, you're probably the only person besides the children that live in this neighborhood, you know, that doesn't smoke weed. Yeah. And this, 20 years ago, right? Like every household, they, that's something that everybody had in common. And it was it was crazy because you had your professionals, like your doctors and lawyers living in there. You had your cops, you know, you just, you had every type of person. So it is around us. And it, I always use the analogy of swimming with sharks, right? When you, when you're in the Pacific ocean and you realize how many sharks are swimming around you, you realize that sharks are not that big a deal. Right. Or, yeah. you know, the, so it, it, it's kind of interesting when
1: you, you break it down like that, I,
0: it, you know, it, Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: I was just going to chime in on the, the, the stigmatization of uh, coming out of the closet. Cause I say, I share this story regularly and I'll share it with you. Uh, when I came out of the closet to my own clinical community as a firearms zoning clinician who carries uh, there was uh, the, the air was sucked out of the room in most cases when I acknowledged that. And for the same reason, right? Belief, perception, stigma, misunderstanding, lack of information. And to Mike's point about – I'm glad he made that point about the sharks. It's like, you know how many gun owners there are in the country who don't talk about it? You know how many pot smokers there are in the country who don't talk about it? And what a powerful message it would send if the the individuals galvanized as opposed to pointing to the – typical expected organizational voices that are always yeah. at the table right it's like we represent all these people what if the people actually stepped up and said oh yeah I'm the face of that like you're doing um yeah. we had Brooke Cheney on the podcast you, have you met with her she's from Connecticut with the DC project yeah
0: her yeah. Sto-
1: her story is really similar with regard to the whole like oh, I didn't know what legislating was and then I stumbled into it and I became really good she's at it
0: Connecticut? She is Connecticut she's yeah. with Holly that's right. she does like the suicidal awareness yeah, or, nice. yes yeah. yes yes yes
1: yeah she's wonderful um but it was it's it's neat to hear people finding their voice in this stuff and then you know stepping forward and advocating for others and and I think there's uh forgive the phrase it's almost a contagion effect where it's permission granting to see somebody step forward. And and we see it in the and the the actual hashtag Me Too movement where somebody says hey I was sexually harassed and then other people are like oh yeah I can find my voice too well we can do that for things that aren't you know sinister and negative and when we're we're advocating for for things like Second Amendment rights and and for if you're a new listener to the to the show this is the first episode you've ever heard you may be wondering like why is this a big deal why are, why are guns a big deal why don't you just like you know let go of your guns it's because it's enshrined in the constitution. We all know that. Um, But the, the fundamental principle here is that government in America is there to protect fundamental human rights, not to grant them. And so Mm -hmm. we've got this weird situation where things have gotten a little squishy and mercurial around this particular right in the bill of rights and really no others where it's like, Oh, we can, we can try to infringe on that one. your right to defend oneself. And you go, well, no, that's not your job, government. Your job is to protect that at all costs so that I can continue defending myself. And you've also simultaneously created this law that bans a substance that could otherwise help people who are struggling. And, oh, by the way, these people who are the veterans that you, the government, sent overseas to defend said rights. Mm-hmm. like, And now they're coming mm-hmm. back wounded and you're not allowing them to heal. It's it, like the whole thing just kind of falls in on itself when you apply logic and analysis and um, and I hope more and more people find their own voices to stand up for for what's right, you know, what's helpful and healing, and not just hide in the in the shadows of their
0: introjected beliefs. Yeah, that's I. It was like a tsunami movement that came over Delaware when the issue came out. I can't even tell you how many people said. Hey, me too. Like at first, people like would tread lightly, and I would get you know private messages, and um, but eventually, a lot of people came out of the closet. Like even even like back when Leg Hall was open, believe it or not, one of the most like common people that would stop and say, "Oh, hey," because after the bill passed, people who had success with cannabis would come back and say, "Hey, you know this helps a lot," and this and that. And it was mostly policemen saying how well their spouses were doing, or you know neighbors there's this neighbor from the neighborhood over my house is like a hub for kids um from all the neighborhoods all the time especially you know during corona we like created a quarantine circle and it's just been that way since schools had closed and you know one of the kids found out now that they're older and they become teenagers and they have access to google and they found out what i do or you know work some of the things i work on and the one girl says my dad doesn't yell anymore And I'm like, yeah. And it's like you hear all those stories and you, you know, I've heard from parents who say they they watch their kids come back alive, their adult children. And, you know, that to me makes it worth it. And and when people see someone standing up for something, they say and depending on how it's done, they say, hey, I can do that, too. So right now, like we have some I don't want to skip ahead too much, but we have some like crazy stuff happening in Delaware right now. And the message is, and it's been really, we've been in the thick of it. Like the last week and a half, it's been crazy. I'm working like at least 19, 20, 21 hour days right now. And um, because so much is happening and you know, all these women, this group of like 700 of us stood up um, and it's been amazing. And they all say, They never thought that they would have a voice. They never thought that they would be able to fight for something they feel so passionately about. And it's like, you have all these people who have these same ideas and these same, you know, same feelings. And they, they, they believe in this too. They just don't know where to go or they don't know what to do or where to start or how to be heard. And it just takes one person organizing things or a group of persons. Like, I don't feel like I'm leading anything. I'm not doing anything different than any of the people I work with. I just am organizing it and creating those platforms. They're doing the rest. Everything's doing itself. I'm not doing anything. And these women, I mean, just even this morning, they've like, you know, there's one woman, she was beat so bad she was put into a coma for four days and being able to have a gun and protect herself. And now she has a voice to go out and say, no, all women need to be able to protect themselves with a gun if they so choose and putting, you know, these barriers and these permits to purchase laws that they're trying to pass right now, where it's going to cost upwards of $500 just to get the permit to be able to buy a gun and how that will affect lower income people and this and that and and women and single moms and They never had this voice before and they do. And it's amazing when people are given a voice and it's amazing the talents that they have and the resources they have. Everybody has something they can bring to the table. Every single person is just as important. From the person who's like maybe sending out posts or, you know, you know, organizing spreadsheets or making the flyers or whatever it is, or working with the funds or every single person is important. Every single person has something to bring to the table. All you have to do is organize the people. That's it. That's it. It's actually so easy.
2: What's the, so for me, like, just because I've, I've known weed was around forever, right? Like, I'm trying to to visualize. Are you more known as, like, the gun lady as opposed to the weed lady?
0: Yeah, so I'm, I for a little while was known as just the cannabis girl, but I, it honestly depends on who you ask. I get really nervous when I'm in Delaware. We're a small state. So if you're in the press like a dozen times, that's like they're gonna, it's just like the psychology. Like they see even campaigning, someone's got to see your name or face seven to 11 times before they'll remember you. It's just like that. And my face is like on all different things. So some people know me for once I ran, I had a two little two month campaign for clerk a piece. Some people know me as cannabis. Some people know me as guns. Now. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I I don't know. Some people know me as like the mom who like volunteered and like helps out like the field days. I have no idea it. I always get a little nervous because these are all controversial issues. But it is, go ahead, sweetie. it is what it is. I just I don't know. I, I think right now I'm mostly known for guns. Definitely. Definitely. Especially this permit to purchase bill. That's probably what I'd be no, most known for but I do all sorts of stuff in the community so like sometimes I get like a hair up my tiny and like I'll like have something laid on my heart and so like most recently for Christmas I don't even know why I did this but I said you know what I want to find the worst section I can find in Delaware where in Dover where it's like the highest crime and like open air drug market that's perfect let's go and so So we, you know, got all these Christmas gifts, like over a hundred children had gifts. And, you know, we, I said, Hey, I'm going to be here at this time. And, you know, some city councilmen, they joined in and some candidates joined in and we all got together. It was planned in like two weeks. And, you know, we showed up and all these children who would not have gotten any toys this year all did. And it's like, and nothing bad. Oh, there's one little robbery. what I, I was the first one to get there. So but I mean, it really wasn't that big of a deal. So so some people know me as that like the girl who helps out in the community. You know, there's my town, I run like this town page and Magnolia. And people will come to me like there's this family that's not gonna have Christmas this year. Okay, we got it. You know, I don't know what I'm known for. I don't know. That's why I don't know how to describe myself. I'm a loud mouth with a big heart.
1: I love that you quantify it like that and it really it's it's inspiring to hear more people talk about their multiplicities of of character and of personality and and hobby and interest and and tasks and jobs because I think it it's been going on forever but these days if I can put air quotes around that people are really quick to put labels on others and and I know why I mean it's it, it helps us think that we understand somebody in their completeness and their entirety when we can do that. Because if we slap a label on somebody, it tells us that in our egos that, uh, I figured this thing out and now I'm, I'm safe and I understand it. Right. And it can sit over there in its little box, which I put on it with my label. And and then I, I'm, I'm certain and I'm secure with it. But the simple fact is people are very complex and there's lots of things to, to many people. And, and we do them a disservice when we slap labels on them because we limit them to what we need them to be to satisfy our own insecurities. And so I really appreciate that you're laying all that out. You're like, I don't know who I am. I'm all these things. and I have
0: no idea who I am. It's great. I have no idea. I just – I don't even know. Like I have no idea. Where will I be in five years? I couldn't tell you.
1: Well, you're, you're all of that, right? And, and, and more. And the stuff that you have yet to do and the stuff that you used to do, I mean, well, we b- just breezed over the fact that you served overseas. Um, right. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, veteran, you know, it's like, uh, I know everything there is to know about that. And it's like, no, you don't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I have a clue. I I love it. And that's great. And I I do want you to talk a little bit more about what's uh, what recently transpired over the last week or so where you you did yet another uh, gathering of folks to go make change. And that was also very controversial and scary from what I gather.
0: Yeah. So so we are a very uh, far left state. um, And that doesn't really mean anti-gun. But the only people in Delaware pushing anti-gun bills are Democrats. Not all of them. But it's there's no Republicans on this, and so um, we Democrats have majority and supermajority of our House and Senate, and right now our legislative hall, where we can go fight legislation that we don't agree with, is closed down. So how do you fight for your rights through Zoom when you're only given one minute and only Tell twenty people it. were? oh yeah, only 20 people were allowed to speak for the whole state and we had one minute. And so, so the bills that are coming, um, in Delaware, one of them is a permit to purchase. So it's going to cost $500 just to get the permit. So you have to get training and fingerprints and like several more different kinds of background checks other than the NYX check. Um, it's just, it's, it's all these hoops that you have to jump through. And so, and they can take as long as they want to issue the permit. And so, you know, that just really puts a lot of people in compromising positions. First of all, people who qu- can't afford it, they're just going to buy the gun anyway and do the same thing if I was in an unsafe situation. But now what happens if they get caught with it? And, you know, so the list goes on all the things that are wrong with permits of purchase. I'm sure I don't have to explain that here. So cannot go to leg hall. You know, we sent the emails. We did all the usual things. You send the emails, you get the radio ads, you do this, you do that. Um, but they're still sticking to these. It's it's only the top portion senators and democ- uh and uh, representatives of our state that live up north that are pushing these gun laws. And they're insistent. This is what their districts want. And I just can't believe that because a lot of them are lower income, too. I cannot believe that they would want it harder for them to exercise their Second Amendment rights. So. A girlfriend and of, mine, and, uh, of mine and I said, listen, let's go to their district. Like, let's just talk to people. And we're told, like, it's very racist and they're not going to like us because we're white and this and that. And, they, you know, just this awful, divisive feeling in Delaware. It's just that environment and that atmosphere. And so and these things are preached nonstop. And so I said, let's just go and find out. So we drove. How dare and- you,
1: by the way? I know. How, how dare know. you?
0: yeah so so there's this senator senator darius brown and he is in favor of these bills and he was only going to give us one hour to fight for our rights through zoom the whole state one hour so we all you know and and uh really we only had 12 minutes each um for each bill because there's also a magazine capacity uh limit of 17 rounds that's coming our way also two bills and so we i put one sign said can we talk gun rights. I made signs. And because how do you just walk up to people and talk to them? And then the other sign said, "Um, gun rights matter. So we parked our car. And I said, let's go to Senator Darius Brown's district since he's not giving us a voice. And he insists it's what his people in his district want. Let's go find out. So we first went to his neighborhood because I'm like a big believer in starting in their neighborhood. And, uh, and then we went right around the corner to the business district. Because if you ever want to get under the skin of, um, or get the attention of legislators, go to the centers of influences, which is business owners, go to them, talk to them. And so that's what we did. And and we couldn't even get five feet before another person wanted to talk to us. Or, you know, the bus stops down there would have 10 people at it and we'd talk to one and then all these people would come over and say, hey, yeah, us too. And I can tell you, we talked to over a hundred people. We took lots of photos and video, you know, to prove this is the case zero wanted this bill. None of them. Zero. So we made some videos, some live videos, which got a lot of um, visualization for our state. And the legislators who are pushing this were not happy with us. In fact, two super anti gun legislators mentioned our little shenanigans on the Senate floor. That's how much we got to them. Right. So I decided, okay, maybe this is working. It's been effective. So now Oh oh oh, and going back, what we learned, the most profound thing that we learned is one, they're, this, the people in these districts that these legislators claim are in support of these bills, no, they're not. Two, um, actually race isn't as bad as they're saying because I did not have one black person say, I don't want to talk to you because you're a white woman. In fact, I had I left that district wondering, and thinking how lucky Senator Brown is to have that as his district. Those people, everybody there was awesome. Man, woman, gay, straight, black, white, did not matter. Every single person was welcoming, Was wanted to talk about this. They shared their stories. It was like heart to heart. I find when you talk to people in a very genuine way, people are smart. They can feel it. They can sense it. And they reciprocated and it was honestly such a beautiful day. And so now, because in order and also to keep in mind, no one's ever gone to Newcastle County, this northern part of our state and ever done this before. This is like un, you know, chartered territory and so uncharted territory. And so. Now, because we found we were so welcomed, and that actually there isn't so much a uh, political party divide when it comes to guns and there's not a race divide when it comes to guns that we decided to contact all these different black groups and uh, gun groups and these different um, uh, women groups. And now we've all teamed up and this Sunday we're all going back to the district up north And we are going to have a never before women and minority highlighted gun rally. And not only is it a rally, but we have so many shenanigans planned. So, you know, they say the rape whistle can like save you. Well, we've got a hundred whistles. We have a little like spectacle we're going to make out of this. And, you know, of course, you know, with anything you need people to see what's happening in order to spread the message. So we're going to have lots of photographers and videographers because we may or may not have a, um, flash mob a victim splash mob that one of the women came up with um because senator kyle evans gay she is very anti-gun she works for moms demand action she's a new senator she on the senate floor the same one i'm talking about recently last week she called women who are in support of gun rights props and pawns especially victims and so we have a little message for her And, um, yeah, it's going to be great. And in fact, so many people are coming out for this, that the chief of police actually up there, um, he had his Lieutenant call me this morning and, um, he wants to meet with me directly. I'm going up there tomorrow because it looks like we're going to have a really big showing and there's not going to be like any parking and stuff. So he's going to show me around, show me a few places and we're going to, you know, they're going to help us with parking and he, he couldn't say it, but I'm pretty sure they all support us. So what we found is the narrative that these anti-gun legislators from Northern Delaware, the Senator Tizzy Lockman's, the, you know, the Senator Sturgeons, all these representatives and senators, they are actually not representing their districts. They're lying about what their districts want. It's not true. And we're just going to make that known. It's just time. We can't go to leg hall. You know, we can't fight through email. We can't fight through a computer screen. We're going to bring the fight to their state, to their districts, and we're going to be peaceful. Oh, oh, oh. And you want to know what else we have planned? This isn't even the best part. I mean, this is going to be great and all. Don't get me wrong. I do not mean to minimize. But because our little stunt was so successful, we've decided now, this time, we're going to, that was just a dry run. This time, we're going to all their districts. And we're going up in teams and we're going to have matching shirts and friendly smiles and little name tags and clipboards. And we're going to have petitions signed and we're going to get their emails. And we are going to this time document way more than we did the first time. So, you know, you know how the same way the legislators, when the candidates are running for office, they'll door knock or have events and, you know, they get out and talk to the people. Well, so are we. And we're going to let the people, their people who they're supposed to represent, know what they actually do. And we are starting in all of their neighborhoods. And we're going to be very polite. Look, look, that's politics 101. If you want to, you know, you always start in your opponent's uh, neighborhood. And right now there are opponents. So that's how I look at them. And I just, you know, I'm not there to badmouth them. I'm simply just there to expose their own views and the laws that they vote for. And just make sure the people in the district know that they were, they're being legislated into criminals and not allowed to defend themselves.
1: Your energy is really remarkable. It's it's awesome. I I love hearing. You know what else I love hearing is you're using colloquialisms like stunt and shenanigans and dry run. And it's not it's not this overly pretentious, highly professional, polished thing. It's like no, this is literally the people literally taking to the literal streets. Uh, because that is who hires the, for all, for lack of a better term, hires these people to go act on their behalf. And when they're being duplicitous, the, the, the representatives, I mean, they need to know that now, you know, it would be nice if change came from this, because I think that happens not just in those districts, but all across the country with all sorts of issues and matters where lobby groups have bigger influence than the people who reside in those districts. Um, it's really encouraging to hear that the roots of a constitutional republic are still alive and maybe they just need a little water sprinkled on them to grow a little bit more. It's, it's really cool. It's mm-hmm. inspiring honestly.
0: I'm really excited about this. I'm also excited that minorities are going to have center stage and that women are going to have center stage because that's actually who these laws affect the most. And so I feel like they should be given a voice and not just one of 12 lucky people that got one minute to defend their rights. So the same Senator that wouldn't give us a voice because he was the chair of the committee and wouldn't allow us more time. We thanks to him are now going to his district and our voices will be heard further and wider.
1: Good for you. Yeah. Good for you. For sure. Uh, Okay. That was, it felt like a mic drop moment right there. Um, And usually we, you know, just call it a wrap. But um, there's so much more to be said about this because you um, you also are a mom, right? And you and you have kids mm-hmm. to be concerned with. And for those of who are listening, Kim's a white woman, and and I th- and it sounds like you've got some means and some access and some resources. And not everybody does. And I want to spend a little more time on the the resource list, the voiceless, uh, because we we keep touching on that. And I think the presumption here is that. We've been fed a narrative that guns are a problem, deaths are a problem, mass shootings are a problem. So we'll solve the problem by treating the symptom, which is the gun, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that's not true. And we don't do anything to to address root cause, uh, such as what uh, Laura and and Ed were talking about with the liberal gun club. They're all about root cause mitigation, and so am I as a therapist. I don't, I'm not interested in symptom treatment because you end up playing a therapeutic whack-a-mole, and the person mm-hmm. stays in treatment in perpetuity. We want to solve problems, right? So. Talk a little bit about how the underpowered of our society get to carry their voice forward and how they can can become empowered through what you're doing. And, and we can tackle some of these root cause issues that lead to things like suicide, like treatment aversion, um, mm. or even needing treatment in the first place, and and how this all kind of feathers together in what it is that you're doing.
0: Ah. Well, suicide, geez, I'm not really sure. Um, so the thing with suicide is the person, if someone's truly suicidal, it's the person that needs to be quarantined. If you will, if you take their gun away from them, they still have access to the pills in their house. They still have access to, I mean, you could swallow cleaning chemicals. Um, you know, maybe they have access to their neighbor's house because they feed their cat while they're on vacation and oh by the way they know that's where their guns are and so I feel like that mental health as a whole needs to be directly that that is where it needs to be tackled and not only that when you talk about you know we need to stop these gun crimes so suicide is like a large portion of these deaths by guns right That's because that they they lump them all in together So suicides one, that's mental health and people need to be given the tools, especially now in Corona, the amount of people who are suffering or the amount of people that had already had issues that are now heightened because they've either lost their resources Mm -hmm. or I know for, for veterans, the number one killer, in my opinion, is isolation. Mm -hmm. We isolated people. People, were, people have lost their jobs. They have less income. These are stressors that compile things that lead to suicide. So if people need to talk about it. People need to know. So for example, with veterans in our state, what we do, we have like where people can call and we have like a, like a network, an underground network because veterans will get, I think it's called gold alerts put on them. If they go off the rails, we go and find them and we pick them up. And we talk to them because really what you, what they need when you're going through a hard time, you've got to reach out to someone. You have to reach out to someone you trust that alone would stop suicide. A good portion of suicide. Sometimes people just need a voice of reason. They need someone to listen or they need to be shown. Okay. You know what? You do need help and we can get you through this. And here are the resources. What they don't need is to be stigmatized what they don't need is is threat of losing their firearms right so for veterans if you go to the va and you tell them that you're feeling suicidal or you're in any way a threat to yourself or someone else what they do is they create a file and they send that file to the fbi that marks you a person prohibited in NICS, and so So when that person goes to buy a gun, they're disqualified. And a lot of veterans are afraid to reach out and say that they're having a hard time because of that. I feel like the approach is wrong. And, you know, earlier you heard me talking about, you know, 70 percent of Delawareans who commit these gun crimes are already person prohibited or they, you know, um, you know, or have already committed gun crimes in the past, why are they being let out? But what I've noticed is a good portion of them are young. A lot of them are their person prohibited because they're underage. And so what I feel like is not even, um, you know, the, again, taking away the gun isn't going to work and neither is necessarily throwing someone in jail. What How is that helping anything? Because what I sometimes that's required, but why aren't we looking at the real issue? Why aren't we looking at why does that kid feel the need that they need to have a gun? Do they feel unsafe? What house are they going back to? Is there an abusive situation? Is there someone involved? You know, I feel like if uh, if we addressed these issues, most of them are socioeconomic. Why aren't we addressing the real issues? If we all truly, which we all do, want a safer community, why are we going after the gun? Because I'll tell you, not once when you hear these legislators talk about, well, we need to reduce suicides, we need to reduce crime, well, what are you doing to attack the real problems? What are we doing to actually make a safer community? And I think those are the conversations that need to be had. Well, it's hard, but if,
1: right? It's yeah. harder. It's, it's easier just to reach for an object and, and slap a law on the object and then uh, dangle that in front of your constituents later and say, look what I did. Look, look! Yeah, I can point to this thing that I did. It didn't do anything, but, but I did it, right? And so it's, it's theater, and and theater theater. doesn't solve problems it uh it makes for more goodwill maybe and maybe good feels but it doesn't actually do anything and i have said this before it's it's the difference between activism and action And activism is you can go out there and raise a rabble and like not really move the needle and and it tells your brain that you've you you did something, but you didn't actually make any effect. Action right. takes real sacrifice. That's what you're doing. You're you're literally sacrificing your own time twenty some hours a day to go and move the needle forward yeah. on solving problems. And and I think so. You know, you ask why aren't we having these conversations? It's because they're hard and they're and they're longitudinal. And and when you've got an election two years away, and you just want to go back. To office because it feeds your ego or it gives you some sense of power and control or whatever it does, um, right. there's no reason to delay that gratification for years beyond after you leave office to say, oh man, I remember back in the day when I started this movement and now here 10 years later, it's taken roots. Uh, that doesn't serve you in the long run. It serves you in the short run to, to, to cherry pick things that you can, you can throw out on a flyer or announce on social media to, to say, look at me, I'm, I'm doing something. And, and really you're, you're not. And and I think that's the why. So the how is a different, different tackle, I think.
0: Well, I think it's frustrating too, because when they talk about, you know, okay, you want to talk about suicide. Well, let's look at some of the things that lead to suicide trauma. All right. Well, what are some things that, you know, trauma life is traumatic. None of us are going to escape this life without trauma. Some of us just experience worse Some don't, but you know, what's really traumatic is um, rape. And did you know that I'm sure you do one in three women will be raped or assaulted in their lifetime. And, you know, that rape, that, that trauma actually can lead to suicide. So I think we need to get back at these root causes. And it's frustrating when I hear Delaware legislators talking about taking guns away. When as a woman, I have a four time, four times more likely to be raped in the city of Wilmington than I am to encounter a bad guy with a gun. In Dover, right next door, I'm 10 times more likely as a woman to be raped or assaulted than I am to encounter a bad guy with a gun. And so, you know, not once do we ever talk about, um, you know, times that guns are used in defensive situations or where they stop a crime or an assault from happening. And, you know, I know that's just a tiny sliver and it may sound like a far stretch or a far reach, but for a woman, it's really not. Uh, you know, and they talk about the cost that gun crimes have on the state. Well, what, if, what what's the cost of rape on the state? Right. Because I'm pretty sure rape kits. We don't even have enough money that I last I heard. I don't know if it's still true now, but a few years ago we had rape kits that were gone going untested. Yep. So yeah. we, we had backlogged and, in Nevada
1: for a long time, too.
0: Yep. Yeah. And it's interesting because I just met with our attorney general's team um, a couple weeks ago because she came out with her legislative priorities. The top two were gun control. One, she wants to ban all assault weapons and the other is permits purchase. And so we met with her. Um, I met with it was me and four of her people just like this, four of her people and just me, all fancy lawyers. And it was interesting because I asked them, you know, first, where, what sources do you do you use to base your policies and laws on? And it's all, you know, completely biased statistics. It would be like me sending them stuff from the NRA. Like, let's use something that's like actual, like concrete information. But that's nor neither there, or there, uh, neither there nor here. I asked also, can you define an assault weapon? And their legislative director said, the long one.
1: The long one
0: like what okay so but what's also interesting and where I was going with this is um because she's the attorney general she deals with all crimes and this and that and they're like oh she cares so much about because I mentioned the one in three women will be raped or assaulted in their lifetime and she taught talk, they talked about how much she cares about it and how she set up this whole you know rape victims you know unit and this and that which is very important and I'm so glad that she has that but what they're not understanding is we're trying to avoid being a victim to begin with, you know. And so I don't know. I don't I don't have all the answers as how to address that. But I, you know, suicide and all these other things, because if there is a problem, we as the gun community, we do want to know about it because we want to talk about it. We want to help fix it and help solve it. Um, but it's difficult to do when the other side of guns is not willing to and they're just going to stick to what they want to stick to and it's just frustrating the whole thing's frustrating
1: It's yeah it, it, it's go ahead mike
2: no i was just going to say it's it's really mind-blowing uh that we could take these little things as you know in society and and make them massive issues right and then ignore different issues like think about this like ar-15s like There are politicians out there that want you to go through psyche vows. There are politicians that want you to just go through psyche vows for guns, right? Regular handguns, right? They want you to do all these things, fill out all these forms, take all these classes, get all this training, but you're allowed to make a human. (laughs) None of that. Like, boom. Like you're allowed to go and make as many humans as you want, (laughs) put them out there, Mm -hmm. not even necessarily provide for them. You could just totally turn your back on them Mm -hmm. and, Nobody says a word about how crazy that is. Yeah. It's wild.
1: It's mind blowing. I, oh. You know, to, to your point, I'm really glad that you, you wrote because I've always heard one in four, one in four, one in four. And you said one in three. And that and I realized the difference is rape or assault and assault. It takes a oh, lot yeah. of forms. Right. And so that the ass grabbing that you mentioned earlier is traumatizing and it's also completely yeah. unacceptable. And that is, is a, a form of attack upon another human being without permission and that leaves them reeling and wounded. And you, you, you compile that a few dozen or more times over a, a span, high school, college, lifetime, whatever it is. And you end up with a, you can end up with a pretty dysfunctional person who's, you know, skittish and standoffish and avoids vulnerability and intimacy and relationships fail, and then they don't know how to parent and 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 all sorts of things like this this whole ripple effect occurs because of that. And there is no way to legislate that, right? It's like it's like legislating away racism. You the way you okay. fix that is conversations. It's personal accountability. It's individual efforts. It's not. It's not some blanket policy that changes the hearts of humans, and we we know this, and yet we continue. It's like rinse, wash, repeat, on the same ineffective attempts to to change things. I, I still go back to it's slow hanging fruit, right? So it's easy just to write a piece of legislation. that's not going to do anything, um, and yet communicates the message to uneducated constituents that it did something and, and not to mention the warped statistics that we pull out or the or the biased research that gets trotted out for for the theater and the and the dog and pony show. So I, th- I think what you mm-hmm. what you're doing, what we're trying to do with this organization mm-hmm. is get more information into the hands of, of people, which of course is dangerous when you're talking about people who want to manipulate information for their own sake. Um, yeah. and, and that's that's key when you go into these neighborhoods where they're not used to people caring, you know, or they didn't yeah. believe that they had a voice, uh, and you take that and you say, "Actually, so here's the reality." Uh, and then you watch heads pop. <laughs> like, oh wait, oh I do, I do have a responsibility here. I do, I do have a voice. I can participate. It's really yeah. encouraging. I love that. It's that's inspiring. I-
0: we had. One of my favorite things is to give other people but like all I ever like to do is bring everybody along, give every, I don't know. I've just, that's my personality. And, um, a couple of weeks ago, one of the, the main sponsor of, um, this primitive purchase bill, Senator Tiffy Lockman, she, I put together a round table where women who've never been heard before and never told their stories, they got to be heard. They got to tell their story. They got to say, you know, what happened to them and you know, how they didn't have a gun or if that person wouldn't have been there. And You know, when you think about, I just, when you talk about the long-term effect and being skittish, I am so that I've had so many things happen to me throughout my life. You know, just even like how you said, well, you know, if you're just assaulted and you weren't actually raped. So two years ago I was in Dover and I had my mom mobile and I have a hard time parallel parking it. And so I parked at a firehouse, you know, fire police, you think it's safe. And it was broad daylight and I was coming back, I was walking and I asked the man, hey, do you normally see tow trucks here? Because I just want to know. I I think I thought I struck gold, the safe place, easy place for me to park when I'm downtown. And he said, oh, yeah, this is fine. And I didn't know. I didn't realize because I didn't have my situational awareness training at the time. He followed me in the parking lot and he grabbed me. And I think to this day he was going to take me back into the house he came out of. And so what I did was I didn't I wasn't a gun owner at the time because I just wasn't. And I went, get back. And I went like that and I swung him away. And I created distance and then he like looked at me and I looked at him and now we were like facing each other. And he laughed in my face. Like how, what was I going to do to stop him? And the only thing that saved me, there just happened to be by the grace of God, a police officer came up on a, on a bicycle and was in the parking lot. That's the only thing that saved me. So I have to tell you, I, I do sometimes feel skittish and I don't like telling these stories because then people will be like, oh, you're just the girl that always complains, but that's not true. Do you know, just a couple of days ago, I had someone message me on Facebook. This happens a lot. The private messages are terrible sometimes. And I got a private message from this man saying what he would like to do to me sexually. And then later, a few hours later, my phone rang, my private cell phone number. It was the same man claiming to be someone else. He was claiming to be someone that I was deployed with. And I knew he was lying because he said he met me in the Helmand province and I was never anywhere near the Helmand province. But what scared me is I said, where did you meet? When did I meet you? And he knew the month and date that I deployed. So that scared me. And he said, well, I'm coming over the bridge. I'm going to come see you. No, you're not. So I blocked him. But before I blocked him, I went and looked at his uh, Facebook page. He was videotaping himself driving over the bridge. So you better believe you better believe I was upstairs, I went and got my guns ready, I locked the door, brought my kids in the house, because I don't know. Listen, I'm not I don't know why I think I don't know if it's all women. I don't know if it's some women. I don't know. But like, I attract attention. Every single place I go, everywhere I go, it is going to happen no matter what I do. And that puts a target on your back and not everyone is mentally stable. And some people think that they can do whatever they want to you. And I've been pretty lucky in my whole life, but I've had a lot of close calls. And so I, so when you talk about like, like if people are skittish, yeah. Or what about the person who, and it's not just women. What about the person who lives in like an unsafe neighborhood In their whole life? They've like either had to like be afraid of getting robbed or beaten up or whatever it is. Yes. That changes a person. But I'll tell you what, I am not scared when I have my gun because I know I actually have a fighting chance. That guy, if he would have brought me back in that house, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know.
1: Those stories need to be told more because I I believe that they're not unique. And I think that there's... No, they're not. I've had enough conversations now, you know, being 40-year-old white male played sports his whole life, looks like a linebacker, you know, like I, I know my privilege. I don't know the extent to which it is disproportionate to other people's lack. And We so don't I've,
0: say how bad it is. Women no, don't say how bad it is. I just you want don't. you to know that.
1: You're, and and neither do uh, people of color. So I've, I've, I've really? had a series of podcasts, my other, my other show with, uh, I intentionally, we wanted to do this um, black mental health stuff. And. The stories that I heard, and this was at the height of the, the the riots and stuff last summer, and and I was I was listening with humility and curiosity, and and I like I've I've heard this stuff before through college and grad school and just community engagement and whatnot, but we don't get it. Like Mike and I, like we we think we do, but we don't. And I think what I don't get the most is how pervasive it is to the point that it just becomes routine for most people who are suffering the, the judgment, the abuse, the racism, the sexism, the bigotry, the misogyny. It's just like, yep, that's life. And, and yep. my God, it, it should not be that way. Like we need to raise our kids better. That's not legislative. <laughs> we need, we need, no. we need solid homes. We need responsible parents. We need accountable judicial systems. Um,
0: we to- need good men like you standing up to it when you see it or if a woman tells you. Stand up for them. Well, and, that's and if you see it. like a guy in the workplace that's like bothering a girl or makes a stupid comment, I promise you, if they said that in front of you, you don't know what it's like when you're not there. Stick up for that girl.
1: Well, and that's yeah. just it. I don't know. You know, I, I don't hear it, and I and I feel horrible because the culture has become such that you just don't know who to trust anymore, and you don't know who you're going to get invalidated by, and it's and it's and it sucks. Like it just it just yeah, sometimes sucks.
2: You, sometimes you like. <sighs> I, I guess it's, there are certain things that people are going to try to do in front of you and whether or not, you know, it's how you react to them, right? So like you fill out your friends. I mean, I'm surrounded by a bunch of guys that I'd be shocked if I heard an accusation that they went out of pocket, right? But that's from years and years of being like, I can't be around this clown. I'm going to hang out with this dude, right? He's a better person. And I was raised by a single mom. So like cat calling and stuff like that is completely inappropriate. It's something that I've always... Yeah called people out on in in every situation, right? Like, um, but you know, it, you'd be surprised, Jake, you probably just maneuver differently. Uh, you know, you probably yeah. get turned off by people that talk like that. And you're right. just like, that's not somebody I'm going to be friends with. That's what I
0: have to interrupt. I have to interrupt and say, because I don't want to forget to say it. Also, if you're good men, which I assume both of you are, and you both seem like it, people aren't going to act the, that way in front of you they're smart they know not to act that way in front of good people because they know that they'll be held accountable they don't people will act accordingly depending on who else is around so you guys don't really know and no girl usually girls don't like to say it because you don't want to be labeled as the girl that like first of all if the person you're saying something on says you're a liar now it's your word against theirs and they never believe the girl usually. And then the girl gets labeled as, Oh, well she might be a problem. And I don't want to be around her cause she might accuse me of something too. If she accused that guy. And that is not true. That is so not true. The amount of girls who do that are so few and far between. I only met one and or two and it was in my early twenties and a teenager promise you women don't want that attention.
1: Yeah. The, the, uh, it's all true, right? I've I've ended up having to break up with friends because of their inappropriate behaviors and and so forth. And it's been quite a while since that's ever happened. But I, I it just sounds a little bit to me like the snitches get stitches thing. So I'm not going to tell anybody. And and when I work with okay. children who have that mentality, I have to use something extreme. Like if somebody broke into your home and stole your TV, and you know it away and you knew who it was, what would you do? And they'd be like, I'd call the police. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So when somebody violates you on the playground because they're bullying you and throwing dirt in your face, what do you do? Well, I don't want to get snitch. I don't want to be a snitch. I'm like, wrong answer. You you tell because you hold them accountable and that's good. And you know, we don't, same thing with reporting on, you know, suspected child abuse. We don't report to punish. We report to protect and, and you're not protecting yeah. anybody else if you keep that silent. And I guess I could, you know, if I could just reach into the hearts of people who are suffering, I would say, report it, talk, tell people, you know, come forward. Uh, There are people who will support you in this, in this endeavor. And, and if you end up being falsely accused, that sucks. And just know that it's few and far between, you know,
0: you know what I found that like helped me. So sometimes I've been in positions where like I go to a meeting and I will say like, 98% 98% of the time it's fine. So it hasn't like stopped me from doing anything, but I'll go to a meeting where the person had other ideas. They were not there to like collaborate. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, and so what I do is I always tell other women in my network. And also what I've started doing is like trusted men that I work with. Cause I work with like a ton of amazing men from all different realms and parts of my life. And I tell them what's going on and they've really had their eyes open. They're like, I had no idea. Or you tell them the person because Delaware is so small. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to meet with that person. They said that we were going to do this thing. But then when I went, all they talked about was lunch and like, let's get the other next time. But this one guy pulled up my I was in a meeting, we were supposed to talk about collaborating on some um, black and white guns things. And um, he pulled up my Facebook page in the meeting and started like going through all my pictures saying, Oh, you look pretty in this one. Oh, I like this. One. Oh, I'm gonna like and I'm like, the hell are we doing right now? And so I went back and like, I told the people, sometimes you just got to tell people and really it opens up the eyes to women. If you tell trusted men, it opens up their eyes and they can be more aware and they want to know for sake of their wives and their daughters, you know, cause no one would want their daughter treated this way. And it's, you know, it's not that bad, but all of, I, we got way off, off rails, but women truly do, putting barriers in place of protection is not okay. And you know, barriers, like it's going to cost $500, or you have to do this, or you have to do that. Or now you have to do this required training, which also is going to cost this amount of money. You know, that's one thing I have actually a group that I um, just set up with two friends called the women's defense coalition. And one of the things that we do, that's actually the group that's putting on this uh, rally Sunday. But one of the things that we plan on doing is uh, giving free training to women that they don't know where to go. And maybe they can't afford that required government training. And all the way I'm like the only one who's not an instructor of women I hang out with. And so they believe in this wholeheartedly. So there we're going to do that. You know, when I had a situation and I needed a gun, I had like so many people rally around me, I had like the best training at my fingertips, I had the gun shop guy was waiting for me to get there. Not everyone has that. And everybody is just as important. And so yeah, that's one thing I'm excited about, especially women. It's such a just different feeling. When I thought that guy was coming, that guy was going to come over the bridge, I didn't know. I went and got my guns and I practiced a little dry fire and I felt confident and I was ready. We have our cameras. I let a neighbor know. I called a trusted friend. I did everything I was supposed to do. Um, but we have to talk about it more. That's what's happening. And by the way, that one in three and one in four, Jake, that's just the ones that get reported. That are reported.
1: That's exactly it. Yep. That's exactly yeah. it.
2: And tying that to gun situations. And I know, like, I'll say this, and a bunch of people will go, oh, you never show your gun unless you use it. But I, I know a couple times I have family members that worked in interesting jobs, and they were approached by people in parking lots. Um, what, you know, just to give it some context, uh, one of my uncles used to deliver drugs for to hospitals, and and one time a person came out had a knife and. my uncle did kind of one of those things where he's like, I don't really want a problem and just showed that he had a gun in his waistband and the dude ran off. Now, my uncle's not going to call Fox News or CNN and try to tell them that just happened, right? Like, you know, as gun owners, we kind of just move along and just like, oh, thank God. Or, you know, thank God that de-escalated. And it was just because the person knew I was armed or, you know, I said, we don't go around just flashing our guns for no reason. But sometimes that's all it takes is, Hey, step back. Like, I don't want any problem. Rob has, I
0: I would say I learned that firsthand. I learned that I, that day that that guy grabbed me, had I had a gun, I know that I never would have had to point it at him even. And how I know that is one time while I was deployed, we had to go off base, just me and this other guy. And we had to go, um, get cement. These, these third country nationals were going to fill cement into the trucks. And we just had to make it, make sure it wasn't explosives or bad guys coming back. It was cement, in fact, in the trucks. So when we got there, so we drove for miles and miles and miles. Like there was nothing for like literally in the desert. There was literally nothing. I'm like, what is out here? Where are we going? Is this like a setup? Like, am I going to die today? And um, so we finally get to this outdoor factory, right? And it's a cold morning. The desert actually gets cold. And um, my partner said he had to go relieve himself. He had to go pee. So we went there with two other men that we were like guarding essentially. And we met four other men when we were there. So now it's six men ma- Six men, and my partner left, right? And I had my M16, but like, whatever, it wasn't a threatening situation. So I just had it around my back. And as soon as my partner left, they literally like circled around me in a hexagon formation. And they were all, I swear to God, my mind will never forget this at the same pace that were literally closing out on me. And I was like, uh uh, I don't know what this is because I can't speak their language, right? They don't speak mine. So I pulled my gun around my M16, and I just got in ready position and I got out of it and I lined them all up, never pointed my gun at any of them. They don't even know it was never even taken off state. So they don't need to know that. And I learned that day. So, what your, I think you said it was your uncle or someone. I learned that day the power of making it known that you have. A firearm and you don't want to use it, but you will if you have to, you don't even have to point it at the person to eliminate the threat or control the situation.
1: Yeah, I think we get confused with these brandishing laws. It's like you're not allowed to brandish and and you shouldn't. Um, no. but Rob, Rob Pincus has a video where he demonstrates like you know somebody's coming at you just lift your shirt if you're concealed carrying appendix carry he goes back off you know and like you know get out of my get out of my space or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, that's responsible gun usage. I didn't have to draw it. I just lifted my shirt and I was like, that's brilliant. And and really like if somebody's going to like come at you with a brandishing complaint to the police, you're going to come at them with the the defensive like, yeah, the dude had a knife. <laughs> like what do you want me to do? Like just pretend I don't have it? Um, you know, you, there's a nice gray area in between discharging the the firearm and pretending like you don't have it and and it's not brandishing. So that's a different conversation for a different day. The nuances of, you know, you know, know what else is
0: interesting to say, because a lot of people want to say that, you know, gun people like as if we're just waiting for the moment we get to use our gun. Right. And here's the thing. Any person who carries a gun or any gun, a responsible gun owner. That is a day they never want to see. They never want to face. First of all, even if you like are like the big hero that stops the mass shooting, first of all, you are going to lose lots of sleep. You better have lots of lawyers. I hope you had gun insurance because yep. you're going to need them. Your life is going to be so stressful. And quite frankly, hell, if you yep. all the things you have to face, you're going to have to defend yourself if you ever use that fire. I pray to God I never even have to. And so does every every person. Nope. That's not, you're not a hero. Nobody wants to use it. And so, yeah. And so even brandishing no, most times pe- it, it's, people want to show I have a gun and don't make me use it. Cause they don't want it. Right. They just, they just want to be safe and have whatever threat is, is, is imminent. They want that threat to stop. Yeah. They just want to be safe.
1: You're right. And similarly to draw a rough parallel or, or an analog, people who are suicidal don't actually want to die more often than not they want the pain to end and i think we forget that sometimes too and you only hear this in really in like suicide intervention or prevention trainings is like they they don't want to die most people don't want to die. Most people want to live. And it's, it's a vast, overwhelming number. Um, even so far as like ni- people who survive suicide attempts, 90% of them go on to die by some other cause, not suicide. Mm-hmm. So you know, people just want the pain to end. And similarly, we just want the threat to go away. I just want to live my life. You know, Part mm-hmm. of that is situational awareness. Part of that is don't, don't go places you shouldn't go. And something else Pincus says right, is if there's a place you wouldn't go unless you had a gun, you shouldn't go there with a gun. And I mm-hmm. think that's very sage. And it's very savvy. Um, mm-hmm. We, oh man, there's so much I want to cover, but uh, we're pushing an hour and a half now. And I, I really appreciate the time. Um, is there anything that we need to cover before we let you go?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, I don't know.
1: Yes. I don't know. <laughs> Lots. Um, Mike. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Where do you go? <laughs> yeah. Mike, you ready for your your question you ask everyone? <laughs> yes. Kimmy
2: Cush headers. I'm trying to give you a nice weed nickname or something.
0: I love that.
2: <laughs> I don't want them calling you like the weed lady. It's Kimmy
1: Cush. Like when you go. OG Kimmy Cush. I, I, OG Kimmy.
2: I have one question for you. How do you tend to your mental health these days? And obviously... You know, we talked a lot about it. We've touched mental health, but how do you, what things do you do to, to, to center you and how do you tend to your mental health?
0: So I am actually right now going through something very serious and personal and, um, life altering and it's very hard for me. Um, as if like everyday life isn't hard anyways. And so actually a few weeks ago, I was having some chest pains. And I said, uh, I've only had chest pains one other time. It was when I was deployed and it was obviously stress. But I said, I got a, I called a friend and I said, you know, I think this is stress, but I'm not sure. And she's like, Kim, we're at that age now. I said, damn it. So I, so I called my doctor and I said, Hey, can I come in and just, can you just check me out? Because if it's stress, I'll know how to handle it. But if it's not, I need help. Like something's wrong with my heart. Well, long story short, ended up being stress. And so I have been at this long enough that I knew when I got home, I reached out to a friend that I trust, I actually reached out to two friends. And I said, Hey, I'm, I'm not doing okay right now. Um, Cause no one knows that. Like everyone just thinks that like, I have like this perfect life or something and I don't. And so um, I said, I'm hurting right now. And I just want you to check on me. I already felt better by saying that, by saying I'm, I'm, I'm hurting And um, my best friend, she um, is actually a counselor too. We met each other before either of us even went to college, but she's a counselor now. And um, she just went through all the things. She's just like, you know, you've been through worse. You're one of the most resilient people I know. You are going to get through this and you have to remember you're just in the thick of it. And so what I did was I would force myself to do things that I know are good for me, even when I didn't have the energy. So I, for me, I have to work out. Um, that's a very big part of my mental health for me, when I work out, it's like, I have all this energy in me, so I need to get it out. But also while I'm getting it out, that's my time to reflect, to process, to think. And if I'm stuck on something, I'm smart enough to go ask someone. Um, I'm a big believer that if you have a problem, you can cry about that problem to me, but you better also be telling me what you're going to be doing to fix it. Right. Right. And if you can't fix it, then I'm going to be right here alone. I'm going to be right here hurting with you. You know, I've done that with friends. Okay. I'm going to sit with you until this pain subsides, and you can get through this. And, you know, so anyway, so once I found out it wasn't my heart, I knew, okay, I need to change some things. And I, I, sometimes it was just, you know coming to terms with things. Um, So again, some other things that I do. So I work out, I have to get outside something about being outside keeps me so grounded. I go through I go for walks in the woods, like a couple of times a week, like always unless it's freezing cold. I've done that for years. I go by myself. Another reason I like having my gun. And, um, You know, that helps me. You have got to find those outlets. You cannot, I cannot isolate. I cannot sit in my thoughts because what happens is when you're hurting and you're going through a hard time, you think of all the worst case scenarios. And so you do need a voice of reason. So you have to find that voice of reason. If you don't have that voice of reason, it is your responsibility to go find someone. If you have to find friends, if you have to join an organization, if you have to call a doctor, you have to call a church leader. Whatever you have to do, just in the same way as guns were our own first responder in life, you're the only one who can truly save yourself. And you just have to, you know, and and, and here's another thing, anyone who's struggling for from PTSD, I want to say this. There was a time where if someone told me, Kim, you're not always going to hurt this way, I would not have believed them at all. I was hurting very bad and i never would have imagined that i could get through it and you can you just have to take the steps and you have to know you know you can't think well i just you can't create this vision and say i'm going to be that i'm going to get back to the other person i was maybe that other person is just gone and you take everything you've learned from your past but you have to grow and you have to fight and you have to realize there's going to be some hard nights and there's going to be some dark times but you don't get to give up you have to hang in there because the truth is you know, it's funny after the storm comes the rainbow. That's true. After the pain, there's more joy to be had. Anyone who's listening, some of the best times in your life, you haven't even had yet, you know? Oh, another thing that ha- helps me too, is I always need something to look forward to. I always need something to be excited about. So even if it's like a weekend trip with friends, like you don't need money for these things. You can go camping, you can go buy worms and go fishing. You can, there's a million things that you can do but you to always have something to look forward to. So days that like suck and like, oh, I can't wait till I get camping, you know, you have got to have things in place that keep yourself chugging along because no one is going to come save you. And and also another thing is realizing that you're not alone. So many times, like, I'll feel like, oh, my God, I'm such a failure, failure. How did I not do this? How did I not do that? You know, because we beat ourselves up. Everybody does that. We're our own worst critics. And whether you have to put reminders or like I said, have that friend that's going to call and check on you the next day and remind you, because maybe you were good when you got off the phone with them, but then you slip back into like, whatever was happening, you've got to surround yourself in a healthy environment and not expect it to be perfect and know that there's going to be bumps and bruises and you may stumble and fall, but you get back up, you know, life is good and bad and terrifying and amazing and beautiful and everything in between. And you've just got to embrace it. You've got to get through it and do the best you can. And that is what I tell myself. I've been at this for so long. I've experienced so much pain. I'm raising two children who their parents died. I've been deployed. I have been on my own since a young age. And you know what? put myself through school I got multiple degrees and I did that by taking one class at a time because damn it I wanted it and I was going to be better and I was going to be the first person in my family to graduate high school and to go to college and and I wasn't going to think of all the things that made it harder for me oh 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 and the other thing that people need to remember anyone who's listening to this anything you want in life truly is right on the other side of fear right what are you afraid of are you afraid if you do something you might fail guess what you, you're going to fail a million times and succeed once. Good. Awesome. You got there. Guess what? Also people are afraid. Well, uh, you know, like for me, I was so afraid. Well, what, if, what are people going to think of me? I don't care what anyone thinks of me. I was held back by that for so long when I finally overcame that everything I wanted was on the other side of it. You just have to understand that life is going to be hard you are going to fall down, you are going to fail. And it's up to you if you get back up. And don't beat yourself up. If you're going at a slow pace, don't beat yourself up. If you're not where you think you should be, you can and will get there. And also you have to decide for yourself what makes you happy. Some people that's money, some people that's like fame, some people that's having a healthy family, some people that's getting to, you know, do the things you love every day, you can make your own life. You can find the things that make you happy and you can, you create the life that you have. I'm sorry. And guess what? Yeah, we're thrown wrenches. I had many curveballs thrown in my life. Many and probably many more coming my way, but I'm not going to let that stop me from doing anything. And you just have to keep pushing. I'm sorry. I don't know. That was really long.
1: I am ready to go run through a wall. Yeah. Very inspirational. I hope that your kids listen to this.
0: They sometimes are like, "Oh mom," but then as soon as they have a problem or their friends have a problem, they come to me for inspiration.
1: If if it if it moved me, it will probably move them. And I hope that one day they they get to listen to that right there. That was beautiful and powerful and inspiring and motivating and well contextualized. It's it's universally applicable. I th- I think that's going to help a lot of people. So, thank you. Thank you. How do people get a hold of you?
0: Uh, let's see. Um, well, uh, they can go to, I don't really have an official Facebook page. I really should. People can find me, Kim Petters, last name, P-E-T-T-E-R-S. People message me all the time, um, for all different things. You know, if anyone here has heard something today and they're like, Hey, I want to maybe try to pass that legislation in my state, or how can I do that? I can help you. I can show you. It does not require any money. I have no budget. Well, this group, we're starting a budget, but thus far, I've never had a budget. It just takes caring people, willing to put in a little time. Um, I will walk anyone through any process. If there's anyone who's struggling with PTSD, I can, from any state, I know people in all 50 states of the US, I can connect you with people who will help you. Um, Literally, if anyone heard anything and they just want to know more, I'll help anybody competitors just find me
1: just find me (laughs) wait i want to know who it is that you know in nevada that wasn't us
0: oh in nevada actually i know don't say that
1: ah there's no w in the middle of it (laughs) Well, well,
0: well they're veterans they're veterans let me think gun people i won't say it um who do I know? Well, we obviously have a Nevada DC project delegate, but um... we're
1: just playing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I meant,
0: thinking.
1: I meant, what I, meant I, thinking here? I, I meant we're, uh, we're, we're pronunciation Nazis with our state. It's Nevada.
0: Oh, 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 Nevada. Oh, it's yeah. Not Nevada. Yeah. If you really want to watch no, our I skin crawl. Me
1: that. Oh man. Well, fifth cool. generation, oh, I guess that uh, Jake is on that one fifth generation, oh, let me be the first. I had to beat it out of Pincus. He blamed it on his coast, but I said, that's not an acceptable excuse. Um, but no, that's cool. I, I'm glad you know people in all 50 States. That's really neat. I, I don't think I can say that, but, uh, that's neat. Well, um, I, I mean, this has been awesome. Um, uh, Mike dude, we have yet another, uh, awesome show and found another kindred spirit. So, um, really appreciate you making the time. Thanks for
0: having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you guys talking about this. I know it can be a little taboo to talk about in the gun world, but it affects so many people and a lot of people are going through it silent. A lot of people are, you know, either not getting access to the medicine that could help them or, you know, hiding in a closet of shame or, you know, forced to be criminals. And, you know, it's just, it's good to talk about. I really appreciate you guys highlighting this topic.
1: It's literally no. why we exist.
2: Yeah, and thank you. And also, too, I, would, I just want to put it out there. And this this would go for anybody on the DC project, because I'm a big fan of, of the work that's put in. But if there's any way we could ever help you, right, like we have found solutions, alternatives to legislation and bills, things like that, to get people the help they need when they're in crisis without fear of consequence restriction, right? And and we're developing these things. So if there's any way we could ever step in, if you need just to write something for you or appear or anything like that, you know, please feel free to use this as a resource, because I think some of the stuff that we're doing at Walk Talk America, I know it's my baby. Um, and everybody talks highly of their baby, unless there's something wrong. Uh, you know, it, it's something that I think, when people hear about it, it, it gives them a completely different perspective of the 2A community, because it's like, hey, we're not only defending you know our rights and our freedom and our family but we're also doing something about what we all know is a problem and that's the common ground we meet is saving lives like, that's where we we get along no matter who you are but the most anti-gun person on the planet like we want to save lives so
0: that's right. yep you guys are awesome
1: <laughs> oh thanks you are too Well, on behalf of Arms Corps, our uh, show's title sponsor, and on behalf of Zephyr Wellness, which I represent, and I guess we'd be considered a sponsor because I'm putting my time into this, and on behalf of the entire Walk the Talk America family and all of our guests, including Kimmy Cush, we (laughs) thank you (laughs) for listening. We invite you to share this around. Give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts, because that helps spread the word. And like I say frequently, this doesn't do any good locked up in our heads. So please make sure it gets into somebody else's head, so that they can also heal and live a happy life. Thank you. We love you. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.
0: But what they're not understanding is we're trying to avoid becoming a victim to begin with.